0: Welcome to the Stewardship Podcast, where we discuss how to wisely manage your resources, your influence, and on today's episode, your prayers. Grant, are you an expert on prayer? No. Me neither. I do pray, and I hope you do too. Yeah. Um, But uh, we wanted to talk about prayer today. But neither of us are experts, so we thought, well, let's find a guy who wrote a a book on it.
1: Yeah, I was, you know, scrolling on Facebook, as I do, and I saw that one of my friends that I went to college with, Kyle Roberts, wrote a book titled The Secret to Prayer. And I said, hey, you should come onto the podcast and talk about it, because on our podcast, we like to help people become good stewards of things. So why not become a good steward of your prayer life?
0: Yeah, yeah, and Kyle has uh, a whole bunch of degrees all the degrees? Way too many. Yeah, uh, <laughs> being from being being in Arizona, a lot of degrees is appropriate. because yeah, yes. we're used to a lot of degrees <laughs> around here. Um, Never thought of
2: it that way. I like that. Yeah, uh,
0: but from Phoenix Seminary, you have a Master's of Divinity, uh, a Master's of Theology from Talbot, um, and a PhD. So you're a doctor. Yes, sir. Should, should we call you doctor throughout the podcast? Never, never. If I had a
2: daughter, that would be the only person that I would require to call me doctor would be her boyfriends. But since
0: I don't Perfect. have a daughter, I can just go by Kyle. Great. Yeah. Well, Kyle, we're super <laughs> glad you're here. Um, yeah. So welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. We, we're excited to talk about your book. Your book is called The Secret to Prayer, 31 Days to a More Intimate Relationship with God, which I think sounds great. I want I want one of those. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm super excited. Uh, I've already started reading it. It's a super easy read. I love it. Um, I appreciate that. And I have not read it yet, and I haven't read it on purpose because I'm going to be
1: asking some questions throughout this podcast episode, so that you know I can be in the like the viewer's mindset, so that you can kind of convince us, hey, this is why we need to read this book, and and I'm excited to hear some wisdom and knowledge from you on that. But before I jump into that, uh, I got to tell you a quick story. And you, right. you may or may not know this. Uh oh. But. I believe God used you to help stewardship even exist. What? Yeah. So uh, I met you. I just got chills.
2: I don't even know what's about to happen, but I just got chills.
1: Yeah. I, I, I met you at Southwestern College, right? Yeah. And I was a kid who was going to Southwestern College because I wanted to learn more about the Bible. And then I'm like, oh, they have a basketball team? Sure. I'll try out. And I hadn't played organized basketball in years. Um so as a result, I'm walking into the gym extremely intimidated. I have no idea what things mean. I have no idea what drills are what. And I, and everybody knows what they're doing. Everybody knows where they're going. And I'm like, this is crazy. And I was not having a good time. And I had no idea what to do. But somebody, you, put your arm around me. And you would whisper in my ear and say, hey, look, this is what you do. You, you got to go here. You got to do this. This is called that. When he says that, it means this. Wow. And over a period of weeks, you... Checked in on me before practice, checked in on me after practice, throughout practice, made sure I was comfortable. Wow. And I got comfortable with it. And as a result, through basketball, through Steve Rutt's father, who is the, uh, the, the pastor of our team, um, I believe God used that to help me and motivate me to start Stewardship, this company. Wow. And I'm not sure I would have stuck around or even made the team had it not been for you Wow! uh, to just look at a confused kid in a gym and help me out. So I appreciate that. That means so
2: much to me. It really does. Uh, Just loving one another, right? And just caring for your brothers and sisters in Christ and just encouraging them. So, I mean, that story influences me, but then also others have done that to me. And this is probably why then I extend it and do that to somebody else. But that's pretty special. Yeah. More than anything, anything we talk about this book that I'm going to walk away, that made my day right there.
1: Oh, uh, man. Yep. So when I think of Kyle Roberts, that's what I think of. I think so does of,
2: that mean I have part ownership in stewardship? You have part
1: influence. Let's part just influence. put it okay. that way. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like a spiritual ownership. Okay. Spiritual ownership. That's great. Yeah. Uh, well, speaking of spiritual things, the, the one of the uh, first things that you talked about in um, part one in the introduction was this You said, in order to embrace a humble heart in prayer, we have to believe it's some specific theological truths about God. Kyle, what are some of those theological truths we need to know about God?
2: Yeah, that. so the book is broken up into six parts. And so I really, I wanted to start the book off with just some preliminaries. Like, what are some of the basic things we need to believe about God in order to pray? <laughs> um, really, what's, what started this whole project that became this book was a quote by Andrew Murray. And it said this, it said, The secret of secrets humility is the soul of true prayer. Wow! And when I read that quote, I was in the midst of some other projects that I was working on. And so I I just kind of, I stored it away and never left my mind. And the moment I was done, I went immediately back to that quote. And I said, I'm going to figure this out. I want to see if Mm. this is true. And sure enough, from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, uh, the Lord is intensely focused on the conditions of our heart specifically as we talk to God. And so he wants to know the condition of our heart. Do we have a humble heart or not? So part of that, though, long before I ever get into, I think, building my case is I wanted to sit down and say, hey, what kinds of things do I have to believe about God in order to pray and specifically uh, in order to unlock this secret, which Murray says is humility. Hmm. And so I started just to, just to think, and it's not exhaustive, but it's a good enough list to where we can begin to wrap our minds around, okay, as I approach God, what kind of things do I need to believe about him? So what we end up finding is, is that in order to be humble in our posture towards God, we have to come to terms with the idea that God knows everything, hmm. and we don't prideful people like to think they know everything or can have at least a contribution to God's knowledge and bringing about some desired ends or means or goals. Uh, But the humble person truly embraces this reality. God knows everything and I don't. Hmm. I think part of another thing that we talk about is that uh, prayer theologically is awkward. And I really tried to get the reader, for example, to embrace that it's just going to be awkward. If you're looking for it to feel natural and normal and even comfortable talking to God, I just wanted to just forewarn them that that might not happen. Yeah, Maybe not immediately or maybe not ever. I, I have no idea. But part of what we're embracing is is that he is the creator and we're the creature, right? He knows everything and we don't. And so when we go to God and talk to him, sometimes it just might it might feel awkward. And so that's fun because then we bring in stories with my wife and with my kids. And and if we really think about it, life is full of the most meaningful relationships we have. What makes them so meaningful is you're willing to have those awkward conversations with them, which then demonstrates your love for them. Yeah. And so why wouldn't that also then apply to who we're created in the image of like mm-hmm. God? And so we go through just a number of these, these theological truths, and we just try to flesh them out because I want to position the reader to just accept this reality that it requires humility for us to talk to him. And so what do we have to believe about God to do that?
1: Hmm. You know, I, I think uh, being a Christian, a prerequisite to being Christian is, is humility too, right? Because you have to first say, I'm a sinner. I messed up. I need something to save me from it. And then you have to engage in a prairie a conversation with the Creator. That is extremely
2: awkward to say that. Uh, absolutely, hundred percent. And and but you'd be surprised then of how many of us you know suffer from almost like a spiritual paralysis of sorts mm. uh, because we think it should be more comfortable than it is, or that that we should have more to contribute to this um, than we're able to. And so over time we begin to think, well, God doesn't want to hear that, or. I can't talk to God about that. Or what if I say that? What if I say it wrong? What if I do this wrong? And, and yeah, the prerequisite to becoming a Christian hopefully is what propels us forward, but we're sinners. And so we get in the way and we start to believe in ourselves more than we should.
1: And, and that leads into uh, part two of the book, where in that introduction, you say this, have you ever sat down to pray about something important in your life? Or maybe you prayed for someone important in your life and thought to yourself, I wish God would just tell me what to say then I would just do that. Like, how often are we as Christians wondering at kind of what you just said in this awkward conversation, like, what, what do I say? How do I pray? I'm just not feeling, I just don't know what to, what do I do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and later on you in the introduction, you, you mentioned the book of, of Second Chronicles of, of how to pray. What are some things that you reveal to us in the book that are those like how, what are things that we need to do? How how do we pray, Kyle?
2: Yeah, and and in that part, in that part two in particular, what we do is we look at um, two kings, King Solomon and King Jehoshaphat, hmm. and both of them are found in Second Chronicles, and and both of them, uh, the Lord answers their prayers in a pretty profound way. But I wanted to ask the question: Why does God answer their prayers? Okay. See, I always thought that Solomon. T- speaking of stewardship. I mean, he was rich, right? yeah, I mean, by all accounts, he was the richest man of his time. You know, if you google it, uh, he's kind of in like the top ten of richest people to ever have lived. Mm-hmm. They say his net worth was somewhere north of two trillion dollars, like wow. while he was alive, mm-hmm. and so I always thought, well, that makes sense. he's King David's son, he's a king, like that's what kind of kings do is they're wealthy, and so I just thought that he had just amassed a lot of wealth, given who he was, okay but what you find in second Chronicles is that instead um God visits. Solomon in a dream, and says, ask me anything that you want, and I'll give it to you. I mean, this is the hallelujah moment we've all been waiting for. We get to ask for whatever we want. And Genie so sh- in a bottle. Genie in a bottle, yep, right? Here so we this go. is, in my time, this was Robin Williams. Now it's— um, Will Smith. Uh, Will Smith, right? Yeah. But this is so, the moment. And so, but what does Solomon ask for? He says, uh, I need wisdom. Yeah. I need heavenly wisdom in order to lead heavenly people. And then God says, because this was in your heart— I'll, I'll answer this prayer. So God gives him wisdom. And by all accounts, he's the wisest person to ever live, right? Yeah. And so he gives him wisdom. And then what he does in 2 Chronicles is then God says, in addition to that, I'm also going to give you wealth. Hmm. I'm going to make you the wealthiest person to ever live. Now, why though? Because he's about to build a house in which God was going to dwell. And so when you're building God's house, you don't look at receipts. You don't look at The cost of things. You just you just build whatever he says to build. And so he gives him this wealth. But again, why does he give Solomon this kind of wealth? It's because of the condition of Solomon's heart. Solomon had a humble heart. Mm. And so as a result of that, God answers his prayers. And even if you didn't believe me, then you get to the prayer of dedication of the temple. And Solomon's prayer, because he knows what theologically we must believe in order to pray – he begins to really doubt what he's created, what man has created. And he starts to say things like, Is, what, what could possibly contain you, God? What, what could mere man create that could contain you or house you? But if you would be so willing, would you please dwell here? Would you, would you dwell in our midst? Mm-hmm. And then God answers his prayer. And so I just build the case in part two. Hopefully for the reader to um, accept this reality that what God ultimately desires is that we pray from a humble heart. And we've got two examples with Kings Jehoshaphat and King Solomon. We just talked about Solomon, but Jehoshaphat, you'll have to read it and figure that out. But both of those kings, they receive an abundance from God. But not because of their stature, not because of their authority, not because they had it all together. It's because of the kind of heart that they had.
1: Yeah, Solomon didn't say, I want wisdom because I want to be the smartest man in the world. He said, I want wisdom because I need this God to lead these people who you've put in my charge. Yeah. I need your help.
2: Yeah. So in speaking in terms of stewardship, I mean, th- this is how God rewards stewardship, right? That that w- if, if a man or a woman is seeking based on either humble heart, they're seeking the Lord in terms of how do I lead these people, Lord? Yeah. Like, give me that wisdom because I want to lead them well. I want to direct them towards you. Um, I'd be shocked if God didn't answer that prayer.
1: Yeah. So I, I wanted to bring it up at some point in this podcast episode, just this idea of praying for money and, and prosperity theology, which I think is is wrong. And, and that prosperity theology teaches if you, if you give, you'll get. And uh, some people confuse that to be in Scripture all over the place, but, but it's actually not. What I see in, specifically, in the, even in this example with Solomon, is if you are a good steward, God will likely continue to give to you so that you can keep giving. It's like I imagine with my kids. Like, I know I probably shouldn't give my youngest daughter, Eleni certain things like the remote control like when we're gone you know and, and and we're letting them at home alone or my wife and i go on a date because Elle might pick some things that aren't the best <laughs> i give the remote to the person who i think is going to be the most responsible and i kind of feel what well, based on reading the bible that's what i see is happening is that god sees okay solomon you had a, a really great humble heart it was in the right place I'm going to reward you because I know you're just going to continue to bless and give and love others with it, right? You're going to further what's going on. Yeah. I mean, how should people be
2: praying about money? Yeah. So for me, pray, pray Hmm. for money, Hmm. have at it, ask for it. Hmm. Um, I don't know if that means that the Lord's going to give it or not, but so long as you can determine that you've got a humble heart in this thing, right? As long as you can determine that, that. That my ambitions, my goals, my objectives with this uh, are not for my own self uh, fulfillment and building up my own empire and these types of things. Um, I think you pray for it, yeah. And and here's the deal: you should be terrified if God answers that prayer, hmm. right? Because the reality is, is now you have that kind of. Um, stewardship on your hand where you have to figure out, how do I maintain this humble posture and this humble heart when I can provide and I can be self-sufficient in and of myself? And so my favorite thing to do when I'm talking with guys who have an abundance of wealth and, and they're struggling in terms of uh, their relationship with God or a nearness is, is I'm always asking, so I mean, I'm assuming you give because I know they give, but do you give enough to where you're dependent on the Lord? Like, like are you dependent? Are you giving enough to where you and your wife look at each other like, Man, should we have given that much? Like mm. what like not because I want them to give away all of their wealth, but I I think there's something sweet about that dependency that they're feeling, which they haven't probably felt in a very, very long time. Mm. And I love those business stories where people become successful and then they always tell you, I had nothing in my bank account. I mm. I we could barely keep our lights on. That's awesome. Like yes. that but remember those days when you're dependent on the Lord and you talk about your dependency on the Lord? The the, the thing that I think Jesus dislikes the most about wealth isn't wealth itself, but it's the independence and the self sufficiency that wealth creates. Yes, and so once you begin to carve that out and make that a focal point, um, the Lord knows the Lord knows our hearts, and, and so He knows who can manage this well and, and who can't manage this well.
1: If you if God answers that prayer and does give you more money, will you be a person that grows closer to the Lord? and grows his kingdom, or will you have more independence? Exactly.
2: Exactly. And and the Lord knows you can tell me the right things and be lying to me. Hmm. You could also be saying the wrong things, but have the kind of heart that the Lord knows, yeah, but you'll handle this differently when you actually get it. Hmm. See, the difference is is the Lord knows your heart, where as men and women, we can only see what we can visibly observe in a human being. And so this is why the content of your heart is so important as you approach God. Hmm. Even in prayer, you might listen to somebody that sounds like the greatest prayer ever, but they have the most corrupt heart ever. Mm, yeah. Or you might listen to somebody pray and you're like, I don't think that they've ever spoken to God in their life, mm-hmm. but have the purest of hearts. Yeah. Tell me, who would the Christian want suggest right. we mimic? And then who would God suggest we mimic? Yep. Right? And so it's the same thing with wealth. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, in the
1: second part of this uh, interview, I want to talk about the condition of our heart, as you mentioned, in a couple of the different uh, chapters. But Stewardship is a company that is helping people with home loans, insurance, and investments with wisdom and love. So we want to drop some financial knowledge on you guys real quick. Daniel, hit him with a one-minute money tip. The first thing that you should do when you get paid, the first thing you need to do with income from your paycheck is give. You should give money away you should be generous you should be selfless the reason why it adds purpose to the income it adds purpose to all those hours that you're spending at work all that time all that energy all that effort that you're sacrificing to earn that income it adds purpose to it it makes income and the attaining of that income more sustainable All you're doing is paying expenses all the time, but not really giving money away, not being selfless, adding value to other people's lives, earning an income. It can be really frustrating and tough. Give first. That's what you should do.
0: So that was our one minute money tip. Um, But man, I just really want to jump back into this conversation because, um, yeah, giving is important. So take that tip to heart. But uh, yeah i 'm getting so much out of this i 'm not even speaking i 'm just like trying to take as many mental notes as I can. I should probably take actual notes um, this conversation has just blown me away uh, Thank you so much for being here um really quick if you are interested in following Kyle uh, on all his social medias he 's at k de Roberts at k de roberts um it 's d i r roberts you know uh links will all be in the description and everything uh, and also if you 're interested in buying the book if we 've already told enough that you're like, yes, I need that book in my hands, check out lifeaway.com or anywhere books are sold. But yep. I heard right now, lifeaway.com is where it's the best price. But, um, yeah, thanks so much for being here, Kyle. Let's, uh, let's thanks get back in. So,
1: so we talked about the condition of your heart, and uh, part three and even part four have to do with confession. And in part three, the introduction, there's a, there's a portion here I highlighted. It says confession is one of our most intimate forms of prayer. For Christian, the term carries a few different meanings. Tell me more about that. So we're talking about the condition of our heart. How are we, like, how, how is this the most intimate form of, of prayer and how can we or should we or why should we be leaning into that?
2: Yeah, so uh, maybe I'll speak for myself. I don't want to assume anything. But the church of my youth, um, kind of my cultural Christian experience, much of it, kind of looked down upon confession um i mean you know you just you don't want to share your you know your sins or your 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 shortcomings and these types of things so and so
1: there's value in looking like you had it all together
2: there's a lot of value yeah. in looking like you had it all together mm-hmm. and and even if you did open up and you tried to be vulnerable um you quickly realized this isn't a safe this isn't a safe place for this and so then you go back and you retreat back in but what i've found in the bible is i think the complete opposite and so i If you get nothing else out of my book, parts three and four, I hope change your perception as it relates to confession. Because in 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and then to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That means that if we don't confess our sins, what still remains are unrighteousness. But if we confess our sins, what is cleansed? Our unrighteousness. Thereby, I can achieve righteousness according to John in two ways. One is through obedience, right? Good luck. Live that obedient life perfectly. Or two, you can confess your sins, thereby being cleansed of that unrighteousness, right? And restored back into the light. And what John tells us is that if you want to be where God is, God is in the light. He is not in the darkness and in him is no darkness at all so he sets the terms and they're not changing god is in the light but when we sin we're in the darkness so how do i get back to the light how do i have an intimate relationship with god in the midst of my sinfulness confess your sins hmm. and and i'll grant you this if if my proposition to you was confess your sins to god and he might forgive you i got gotcha. you That would be very uncomfortable and awkward and kind of scary because what if he doesn't forgive us? But the promise, the if there, right? If we confess our sins, the if is related to us. Are we willing? Are we humble enough to confess our sins or not? It has nothing to do with God. The if has nothing to do. The promise has to do with God. And the promise is if you confess, he will cleanse you of this unrighteousness, thereby restoring you back to the light. And so if we feel distant from God, if we if we want to grow closer to God, I think one of the primary one of the first ways and that I will always say to anybody is say, I don't mean this in an awkward way, but have you have you confessed your sin? Hmm. When was the last time you confessed your sin? Yeah. And I want them to understand that God wants to forgive them, and then when He forgives them, He will restore them back to the light. And so that's again why I think uh, confession is 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 one of the most beautiful and intimate things that we can do as it relates to our relationship with God.
1: Sadly, I think. We fall into certain rhythms with prayer that maybe impact that intimacy. Um, it's And you hear it from ch- children and, and myself as I'm praying, you know, with my children over a meal. It's always, God, thank you for this thing, and God, we ask you for this thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But where's that confession? Totally. And, and what makes me—look, I, I can tell you, if my wife and I are arguing— if I'm, if I'm my short-tempered with my children, if I'm short-tempered with my work, I can almost assure you that th- there's a direct correlation to how much I've been confessing my sin. Hmm. The more I'm away aware of my sin and the more I'm confessing my sin, when I'm in a conversation with my wife, you know what, I'm much quicker to confess my shortcomings yeah um as i'm confessing my sin more uh to god and i'm restored back to the light you know what ends up happening with my children is i'm i'm much more patient and gracious towards them right because i've experienced the forgiveness from god as a result of my confession so now i'm more willing to give it to somebody else yeah but when i'm withholding that due to my pride well now that makes sense why i would be prideful in my marriage Mm-hmm. and why I'd be prideful with my parenting and I'd be prideful with my positions of authority and in, in work. Yeah, Do you see? Yeah. And so there's a direct correlation there that I think is, again, this is why the commandment, the greatest commandment is to love God and then to love others. Confession enhances both of those.
1: Yeah, and, and being a good steward of your prayer life not only impacts your relationship with God, but it will now obviously impact your relationship with other people, especially those that you care about the most. and And uh, part four of the book has to do with confession again, but it's confession to your sins with other people.
2: Yeah, right? I'll let you go first. So you'll just tell Daniel and I all of your sin right now, right? Yesterday, I, um, But here's the beauty in this, though. I think John, James, the little brother of Jesus, and John are saying the same exact thing. They're just getting there two different ways. And so here's how I unpack this. Um, James is telling the audience because he's talking about the prayer of faith. And this is powerful prayer. This is the kind of prayer that heals you. This is the kind of strength this kind of prayer has. But how do you obtain the prayer of faith? Well, they come from a righteous person. Well, John just taught us how to be righteous by confessing our sins and cleansing us of unrighteousness. But how do we know this? Well, James offers a different way to get there. And he says, hey, um, when you need prayer, I want you to pay attention to the person in your church that's confessing their sins to you. Hmm. Why? Because James is suspicious that they've confessed their sin to God. They've been forgiven. So now they fear no condemnation. So now Uh, me confessing my sin to you, I'm not as afraid of you as I once was. And so now I'm able to confess that sin to one another. Well, by confessing our sins to one another, that probably means that I've been cleansed of that unrighteousness, mm-hmm. which now makes my prayers powerful. Yeah. Then James says the complete opposite, though. He says, but pay attention to those who don't confess their sins. Yeah. Because now he's suspicious that they never confess that sin to God, which means that unrighteousness remains, which means they're still in the darkness, which means their prayers aren't powerful. So that person that you thought had it all together, who never admits to anything wrong, That's probably not the person you want to come visit you in the hospital.
1: And that comes down to what we talked about at the beginning and pride. Like if I've confessed my sins to God, I'm like, I'm good. I'm clean. Everything's fine. Now I have this pridefulness that I'm creating within my own self rather than continuing with the humble heart and confessing my sin to other people, uh, especially those that I've sinned against, um, which then will – well, as we just talked about, impact my relationship, not just with God through prayer, but my relationship with other people, especially those I yeah. care about most.
2: And we're, my wife and I are pretty private people. We love people, but we're also just kind of, we just, we're kind of homebodies in some ways. Um, and so when she was reading the book, she's like, man, why'd you tell that story? Why'd you tell that story? Because I'm very, I'm open and honest with my own shortcomings as a father and as a husband and in my relationships. But I have freedom in telling those stories because I've been forgiven by God. Hmm. I've confessed that sin. And so this, now, now the Lord can use this in a redemptive, testimonial way to elevate and to f- put in focus Jesus Christ. This is awesome. This is yeah. great. So.
1: Yeah, and and one of my favorite things about good authors like you, the little I've read of the book so far through these introductions is there's two things. You're transparent, which is always fun and good to read uh, because I can learn from you in that regard. I'm going to learn from what you've learned from more than I'm going to learn from your quote-unquote knowledge, right? And two, I just love how you are able to take complex topics and explain them simply in words. Hmm. Um, And so far, that's just been a blast. Uh, Introduction to part – uh, five we, we're in right now, um, and I'm, I'm I feel this pretty hard and, and heavy because I'm a father who knows that I uh, suck as a dad sometimes, and I need help and I make mistakes, and I feel like I annoy God all the time because all I'm doing is like, God, please help me be a good dad. God, please help me be a good dad, and like I'm just praying this all the time, and you say uh, spiritually. It is through persistent prayer that the petitioner is shaped into just the right vessel fit to hold the answer when it comes. I think I'm being annoying to God, but you're saying, no, no, no. Be persistent because this will shape who you become.
2: Tell me more about that. Yeah. So, and so in part five, we talk about persistency in prayer. And I use uh, Luke 18 as my kind of biblical launching board for that. And, and there you get this story. Um, and Jesus starts off the parable saying, I I want you to pray and never lose heart, right? That you ought always to pray and never lose heart. And then he tells this story about this widow and this widow goes to this judge, uh, this unrighteous judge it describes. And he goes to the, she goes to the judge and she asks him over and over and over again, just bothers him, pesters him, uh, for justice against her adversary. Well, when you look at the Greek, finally the judge the judge relents and says, I'm going to give you what you want. I don't fear God, nor do I respect man, but I'm going to give you what you want because this woman keeps bothering me. She's basically pestering me. She's continually coming at me. Well, when you look in the Greek, there's this graphic language that is used and it's akin to a boxer in the ring. And it's, it's, it's almost, as if you can visualize every time that she petitioned the judge, it was like getting punched in the face. Oh, man. And so finally he had taken one too many hits below the eye and he's like, I'm out take your justice and just leave. And Jesus turns and says, okay, so that's an unrighteous judge. And how much more will a righteous judge give you as a result of that? So he's turning to the judge and saying, I'm a better judge than this judge. He never rebukes the widow for being persistent as she was bothering and pestering this Hmm. judge. And so he welcomes, he totally changes the cultural perception of what it looks like to persistently pray for something. He opens the door and says, okay, let's do this. Like, it's okay. I'm okay. You can keep bothering me with this. Then what we do is, and we just peel off back into the old Testament. We go to Jeremiah 18. And then we look at this, this, this sweet scene of the, of this potter in his house, uh, spinning a wheel and working on this particular lump of clay. This lump of clay is about to basically lose its effectiveness and be discarded. But because of the workability of this lump of clay, the master potter is able to refashion it into just the right vessel to receive. Right. It's it's place, it's purpose. And so he saves the lump of clay. Now, Jeremiah contextually is talking about Israel and and their faithfulness and their obedience. And and so he's got a message for them in particular. But I kind of reread that with a prayerful lens. And then so this is why I don't care about you praying for wealth, because through your repetitive prayers, Right Through your repetitive prayers of asking for this thing, I'm confident that as long as you have a humble heart, you're a moldable and workable Mm. lump of clay to receive his answer when it arrives. He can refashion you into just the right vessel to receive his answer. So if it's not for wealth, you'll understand that because you've got a humble heart. Right. And so you trust the Lord and you pray and you pray and you pray. And who knows, maybe over time you'll begin to change. God will never change because that's not his char- His character is that he is unchangeable, but you may change. But humble hearts are willing to change. And so my fear is, is that when we pray for one thing and stop, that we've missed the opportunity to be fashioned into just the right vessel. So instead, I would rather you with a humble heart, just keep at it. And then let's just see what the Lord does with you and with your heart over time. And let's end up seeing what you end up praying for a month from now or two months from now or whatever that might be. But I don't want you to stop because I don't think Jesus ever told us to stop praying for just one thing a lot.
1: Well, now I'm going to challenge you but set you up at the same time. Cool. So the last part of the book is about unanswered prayers. So what would you say to that person who's extremely persistent? Maybe somebody's listening right now who has been persistent about a particular issue and the prayer is going unanswered, or they know the prayer did go quote unquote unanswered. A lot of emotion involved there. Uh, how do you respond to that?
2: Yeah. Um, stinks for you. No, <laughs> kidding. No, so um, what I would say is before we get to an actual legitimate unanswered prayer, I think we first have to process through um, this reality. Due to pride, I think that a lot of prayer has been declared unanswered prematurely. Hmm. I think that a lot of prayer due to pride has been hijacked by the one praying so as to set the terms of the answer to that prayer on their conditions, on their timing. And so what they're not doing is waiting for God's terms and God's timing. And so for all intents and purposes, they've declared it This is unanswered prayer. Meanwhile, God's like, it's just not time yet. So until that prayer is legitimately, it's not possible for that prayer to be answered, I would suggest to continue to pray for that. But I would also suggest to have a humble heart in the process because humble people, as they're praying for something especially as meaningful as something worth praying for a lot, um, you've got to be... Um, aware that the Lord has at his disposal a whole host of ways to answer that prayer. And it might not be on your timing or the way in which you thought it would be best to be answered. And so we trust him because we've got a humble heart. Does this? Mm. Oh, yeah. 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 So, so then, so that's if that, I want you to keep praying until it's unanswerable, but then what happens if the answer is no, sometimes the answer is just no. And I, in an earlier draft of this book, I kind of just playfully was like, The title was Unanswered Prayer, and then it was just like sometimes the answer's no, period. Like sometimes we just – we accept that reality, but we also have to trust that in those instances, um, this is where we are dependent upon part one of the book and the very character and these attributes of God to where we know that he's just. Yeah. We know that he knows everything. Yeah. We know that he's good. We know that he's loving. We know that he's merciful, and so if the answer is no, somehow we've got, to, we've got to have the faith to say, okay, God is good, even though the answer is no. It doesn't feel good right now. It doesn't seem good right now, but God is good. I, I, I trust that this is who God is, and, and it takes humility, a lot of humility to embrace that.
1: Yeah, and you can have faith in God, have trust in him, but still not feel great about the no.
2: And that's okay. That's okay. Yeah,
1: and yeah. the first part of this that you were talking about, honestly, is challenging me. Um, and I'll be a little bit transparent. You know, I I have uh, one of my best friends, a very close relationship I have is with my my brother-in-law, who is is injured. I mean, he was injured in a, in a hospital accident, and his body is not what my body is. Your body is right because of he's he's disabled. And if I'm honest with you, I I don't pray for his healing, and Part of that might be my own pride, just think, I ah, healed, he'll never get healed. Like, like I already know the medical, inf- like, it's just, and I just don't do that. But how much of my own heart could be shaped by the Lord if I humbly submitted and petitioned to him on a consistent basis to heal one of my best
2: friends? And you know what? I'm confident that that prayer will be answered. Yeah. In the new heaven and the new earth. Oh, yeah. And so even though we're praying a prayer that maybe for the time being won't be answered. Mm-hmm. I still think that there's a beautiful, humble posture in this repetitive prayer to mm-hmm. continually be reminded as to what's to come. Yeah, That the best is still yet to come. And that sometimes we still have to to live in this reality for right now, for this time. And this is also why we're hopeful for Jesus to return. And, yeah. and hopefully it's quickly, so that these things are made made new and made right. Yeah. Um, but no, yeah, I, I think this is... Th- anytime you can pray something... To continually posture your heart in a place of humility, I'm, I'm all for it.
1: Yeah, I, I, my kids and I, we pre- you know, we already are celebrating as we pray that, you know, Uncle's body will be a new body, you know, in, in the new heaven and new earth, and, and we we celebrate that with God. We thank God for that. But I don't know if I've been humble, especially with my kids, enough and persistently praying you know, but God, heal, heal uncle, you know? Hmm. So that you've, you've challenged me to do that in today's hmm. interview. I, I, I think that these, all of these sections, I'm like really excited to dive into them. And to be honest with you, one of my favorite parts of the book is 31 days to a more intimate relationship with God. That's approachable to me. Like I can do this in 31 days, read this book and- take action on some of this stuff and get a more intimate relationship with god kyle thank you so much uh for driving down here coming to the office hanging out and having a really cool fun transparent conversation about prayer Uh, i believe that i am not only going to have a more intimate relationship with god but i'm going to be a better steward of my prayers as i act on some of the things that i read in this book i'm pumped about it i'm excited and i hope you as a listener go not just to amazon or everywhere else where books are sold Kyle, where's the website that they're selling at best right now? The best Lifeway. Lifeway.com. Lifeway. All right. Lifeway.com. Go check it out. Pick up the book by Kyle DeRoberts, The Secret to Prayer, 31 Days to a More Intimate Relationship with God. All right, guys. You'll hear from us later.